Welcome to Dire Trip, where we deep dive into all sorts of spooky, horrific, or just plain weird crimes, lawsuits, and strange happenings all over the world. Without further ado, let's get into today's story. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I'm here to once again ruin your holiday by presenting you with a bunch of awful crimes which happened on Thanksgiving, and they're truly terrible. I apologize in advance, but I'm sure you're here because you want to see that kind of thing anyway. Stick around until the end of the video and I've got a bonus for you. I'm going to go over all of the updates to the Black Friday death counter since last year. I'll just say that last year was a pretty crazy year when it comes to Black Friday shenanigans. So, let's get to it. For our first case, we're out in Costa Mesa, California. It's Thanksgiving Day back in the far-off time of 1991. This is where we had a less-than-happy married couple consisting of Omaima Nelson, a 23-year-old Egyptian-born fashion model, and her husband, a 56-year-old pilot named Bill Nelson. The two were newlyweds, only on week three of their not-long marriage. Not to worry, though, they had known each other for a long time. Five weeks. They were destined for success and happiness. That was until it all came crashing down on Thanksgiving morning. This was when Omaima grabbed a pair of scissors and slammed them down into her husband's chest and stomach repeatedly. She then grabbed a clothing iron and hit him over the head with it until it shattered into pieces in her hands. That's forceful. Once Bill was good and gone, Omaima got to work breaking down his body into smaller pieces on the kitchen floor. She knew right away she'd have to do something about his fingerprints, so she threw his hands into a boiling pot on the stove. She put his head into the freezer, thinking that it would make it easier to remove the teeth later. She also cut his junk off. Yeah. She put some of the mess into trash bags and did her best to dispose of the rest in the garbage disposal. But that was when she realized that it was Thanksgiving and she hadn't eaten yet. She took the ribs, Bill's ribs, that is, and prepared them with some barbecue sauce, slammed them in the oven, and made herself a meal. Once taking a bite, she was amazed to see that it tasted sweet. Still having a lot of cleanup to do, she got a few of her shady ex-boyfriends to come over and help her get rid of some of the remaining remains. They didn't do the best job, though, and left quite a bit of evidence behind. Days later, on December 1st, the cops ended up getting a tip that there were some clearly visible body parts inside of a car. This car belonged to Bill Nelson, as well as chunks of human they found inside. So the police decided to go out and inform Bill's wife of his unsightly end, expecting her to be completely shocked and devastated. Instead, though, they found much more of Bill, wrapped neatly in newspaper and placed throughout the refrigerator. They arrested Omaima on the spot for first-degree murder. She immediately claimed that this was all done in self-defense. She told the cops that Bill was an outright sadist, a BDSM enthusiast who would regularly tie her up and force himself on her, having done so that very morning. She said that she feared it was either going to be her or him in the end. As sad as her story was, the Orange County Deputy District Attorney, Randy Pulowski, said that Omaima was actually a known scam artist who preyed on men in the area, actually engaging in BDSM acts herself to tie them up and rob them. At the time this went down, she was already facing a number of felony charges after tying up an ex-boyfriend, beating him up, and robbing him at gunpoint. It didn't really help her case that she had multiple ex-boyfriends who were ready and willing to perform some body disposal. 
Her psychiatrist didn't paint much of a better picture of her either, saying that she put on a red dress, shoes, and hat before cooking her Thanksgiving dinner that day. Saying that she remarked, I did his ribs just like in a restaurant. It's so sweet. It's so delicious. I like mine tender. The psychiatrist said that she was in a psychotic state at the time of the murder, adding that he'd never had a conversation that was quite as bizarre or as psychotic as the one he had with her. Those words probably hold some weight. When it came to court, though, Omaima's defense portrayed her as someone with an extremely traumatic childhood, having been subjected to female mutilation back in Egypt. While growing up, she was forced to sell herself in humiliating and horrific ways just to earn enough money to survive. They said that her husband was the exact type of man she never should have ended up with. An absolutely sadistic monster who took pleasure in torturing her in the bedroom, not only physically, but both mentally and emotionally as well. They said that when she adopted a kitten one day, he took it out of her lap in the car and tossed it out the window. On top of that, they asserted that Bill had been selling her out to skeevy old men in the area in exchange for some rent money, cash, and even a car. The courtroom walls were plastered with crime scene photos, namely those of Bill's deep-fried hands, his frozen head, and the ribs. By January of 1993, the jury had come to their decision, declaring that Omaima was guilty of second-degree murder. The jury foreman said afterwards, It was really a tough, tough decision. We couldn't come back with a first-degree murder verdict because we couldn't find the evidence. It wasn't there. It took us six days. We worked really hard. It was after this decision that the Superior Court judge, Robert Fitzgerald, sentenced Omaima to serve 27 years to life in prison. Ever since being sent to prison, Omaima has consistently denied that she ate Bill at all. When she eventually came for a parole hearing back in 2011, she vehemently denied that she was a monster, saying that she married a man while incarcerated and never did a thing to hurt him, even though she had the means and opportunity to do so during conjugal visits. Needless to say, the parole board wasn't really impressed by her gesture of kindness, that is, the bare minimum act of not killing your current spouse. It's likely that she'll serve her full term. Now we're going to go out to Fort Lauderdale in Florida. And let's be real, this video was destined to have at least one Florida case. This is a story about a man who went completely postal at a Thanksgiving dinner back in 2009. A man named Paul Michael Marriage showed up for his usual family dinner and piano sing-alongs and behaved perfectly normally for about three hours. This was until he pulled out a gun and started shooting at his family, killing four of them. This took place at Paul's cousin-in-law, Jim Sitton's home. The home was in a very nice, gated community about 50 miles south of Miami. Up until now, the holiday had been a normal, happy one. Jim's daughter had been writing on cards about what she was thankful for before hanging them up on a clothesline. After everyone ate, they sat down and sang songs as practice for an upcoming performance of the Nutcracker that they planned to participate in. Nothing led to this. There were no arguments, no warning signs, no sign of odd behavior from Paul at all. He simply pulled out his gun and started shooting at all of them. He shot his 79-year-old aunt, killing her along with his twin sisters, one of which was pregnant. Jim's daughter, the one who had been writing the cards, was killed as well. He shot his brother-in-law, putting him in critical condition, but he later survived. Another man at the party was grazed by a bullet, but wasn't severely injured. He pointed the gun at his uncle, attempting twice to kill him, but the gun wouldn't fire. At this point, he gave up. Once he finished his rampage, he let the family know that he had waited a whole 20 years to do this, and he had hoped to wipe them all out at once. 
He then just fled the scene. He had this whole thing pre-planned. His goal was to shoot his sisters and punish his parents, said Jim after the incident. Jim didn't even know who invited Paul in the first place, saying that he was always the black sheep of the family, rarely ever attending any gatherings in general. In fact, he hadn't even seen him in 10 years up until this point. However, he didn't think that letting him come was particularly dangerous and didn't think much of it in the end. Jim felt that Paul didn't originally intend to shoot his daughter, but wondered if he had become jealous when seeing the attention she was getting for her singing. Needless to say, the police were out searching for Paul as soon as they'd heard about what had happened. They even started searching bodies of water near the home, wondering if he might have thrown himself in after all that had gone down, but they came up with nothing. So they also alerted police in Detroit, where it's believed he may have been living pretty recently. Jim said that, yes, Paul was a monster, but he wasn't aware that he suffered from any mental health issues. Police said that he was treated for something in Detroit, but didn't elaborate on whether or not it was relevant. However, it was found that in 2006, Paul's sister had requested a restraining order against him, saying that he threatened to kill both her and himself. She soon withdrew the request, though, for reasons unknown. It was also found that, about 10 years before the incident, Paul himself went to the police, saying that his sister had threatened to kill him. Needless to say, his relationship with his sisters was rocky at best. The prosecutors issued a warrant for his arrest shortly after the murders, for four counts of first-degree murder and two counts of attempted murder. They offered a $10,000 reward for any information that could lead to his arrest. He was considered to be armed and highly dangerous. Paul, at the time, was out in the Florida Keys, laying low while the whole country was looking for him. He first shaved his head before he drove around, continually swapping out his license plate and keeping his car covered in motel parking lots. He made it all the way to January 2nd, when he was ultimately found at Edgewater Lodge in Long Key after the motel owner recognized his face after seeing it on TV. The cops came out and swarmed his motel room, finding the man himself. They said that it was evident that he was following his own case on the internet at the time. He was thrown into the Palm Beach County Jail, held without bail. Things got somehow even more dark after this point. It soon came to be known that Jim and his wife were all set to sue Paul's parents themselves, but why? Well, Jim came to hear that not only did they know that Paul was going to show up unannounced, but also that he may commit some kind of act of violence and chose not to tell anyone. Everyone is going up, including Paul. Paul's mother, Carol, wrote in an email, adding, It will be interesting to say the least, before finally stating, I hope he doesn't come and kill us all tonight, to one of their daughters. At his trial, Paul evidently went on to plead guilty to all of the charges against him, letting him narrowly slip past a death sentence as part of this plea deal. Once the judge heard witness testimonies from the surviving victims, he gave Paul the maximum term that he could under his deal, seven life sentences. He also lost the right to appeal any of these sentences. You'll never see the light of day, the judge told him. Jim, however, had wanted to see him get the death penalty. And now, moving on to a case that is all parts tragic and ridiculous, we have the case of a 76-year-old man named Aalis Oliver, who shot his grown 49-year-old son for failing to do his chores before Thanksgiving dinner. The father, Aalis, and his son, Keith, had been arguing all throughout the day about how this grown-ass son had failed to perform his chores that morning. The rest of the family didn't really go into detail about what these chores were, but it undoubtedly kind of dampened the mood for the entire dinner. At some point, the mother just decided to ask her son Keith to leave the house so they could get some peace, but he refused, sticking around instead. 
Not long after, Ayalis went up to his bedroom, grabbed his three fifty seven Magnum from his nightstand, and went down to face his son in the garage. The family said that the two exchanged maybe about five words before the father shot his own son once, reportedly telling him to stand up like a man because he was going to shoot him. Ayalis then went and sat on the steps to his house, grasping his gun in his hands until his wife urged him to put it down. As you'd expect, the police were called. They came out and found Keith dead from one single gunshot to the head. They then arrested Ayalis on charges of first-degree murder. He was breathing heavily, but otherwise fine. He plainly told them that he had harmed his son. The old man was subsequently thrown into the El Paso County Jail and held without bail. Ayalis told the police that, in his defense, he was pissed when he shot his son. <laughs> he wasn't on any sort of medication that could have affected his judgment, he wasn't drunk, and he didn't have any sort of diagnosed mental condition either. The father, who was a veteran who was still working a full-time job, was still paying his son's rent and car payments, which likely kind of soured his opinion of him. Although, up until this point, it seems that there were no noticeable incidents between the two. I guess the holidays just kind of do that to some people. Remember, in his defense, he was pissed. For those of you who've been with the channel for a while, you might remember the video I did for Thanksgiving last year in which I covered BlackFridayDeathCount.com. This is a website that covers all of the injuries and deaths that have occurred on Black Friday throughout the years. Well, I didn't know, but I kind of suspected that at least a couple of incidents might be added to the counter that year after I uploaded the video, and lo and behold, I was right. 2021 alone resulted in five new occurrences on the tracker, with three new deaths and eight new injuries. So for the sake of completion, let's go over what happened last year just after I uploaded my video. The first occurrence was, streets at South Point closes for the day after three people shot, three others hurt during evacuation. Out in Durham, North Carolina, a shooting broke out in the middle of a mall at around 3.30pm between two separate groups who, quote, knew each other. The police confirmed that the shooting was not random. This shooting resulted in three people getting injured, including a 10-year-old girl who was injured by a ricochet shot. A student that was doing some shopping at the time of the incident said, We heard two gunshots. At first we thought it was a balloon popping, but then we saw everybody was running, and then we did the same. The mall was quickly placed on lockdown and was soon evacuated. The evacuation didn't go well either, with three people getting injured during the evacuation itself when people started trampling over one another. None of the injuries were life-threatening, however. Police and fire crews flew down to the mall to deal with the situation. They managed to take one person into custody and recover one weapon. The mall was then placed on lockdown. However, the mall reopened just a few days after that. Then we had armed suspect shot taken into custody after attempted theft at Kennewick Walmart. In this very brief and to the point article, we learn that someone attempted to rob a Walmart in Kennewick, saying the police. They were called out to the location at around 12.30 p.m. after it had been reported that shots had been fired. A man had attempted to shoplift some items from the store before getting confronted by an employee. When the employee followed him out to the parking lot, the robber pulled a gun. In response, the employee, who had a concealed carry permit, pulled out a gun of his own and shot the suspect before he could get shot himself. The suspect lived, though, as the police later found him at a nearby home. He was taken into custody for assault and robbery. Walmart reopened about two hours later. After that, we had one person seriously injured in shooting at Tacoma Mall Friday night. 
So just before 7 p.m. on Black Friday, one person was shot around the food court of the Tacoma Mall, according to the police. The mall soon went into lockdown and the police were called after hearing that shots had been fired. They came to find that the argument had taken place in the food court that ultimately escalated into a gun being pulled and one person being shot. He was in serious condition, but stable and was rushed to the hospital. Everyone was escorted out of the mall during the lockdown, but everything eventually opened back up at around 10am the next morning. The police never did find the suspect. And now we get into the fatalities. We're looking at two killed on Black Friday in busy downtown East Chicago. This unfortunately isn't just our first death of the day, it's two deaths, actually. Late in the afternoon that Black Friday, two people were shot to death. It was around 4pm on the corner of 139th and Main Street at a time when the streets were absolutely packed with people doing their shopping and going out to eat. This was when several men swarmed an SUV with two people inside, in the end shooting and killing them both. One victim was pronounced dead right then and there at the scene. The second was rushed out to the hospital but ended up passing away as well. One witness said that they heard more than a few dozen shots being fired. It's a lot of violence out there, he added. And lastly, we have an article titled, 28-year-old dies in shooting outside Northeast Austin Walmart. Suspects at large, police say. This one, to be fair, took place late night on a Wednesday, but plenty of stores are starting their Black Friday deals earlier and earlier each year, and the article shows up on the website, so I'm going to go ahead and count it. That night, a man was shot and killed in a Walmart parking lot in Northeast Austin. Police rushed out to the scene at around 11pm after an unrelated bystander had called them, saying that a man had just been shot. This was just a few minutes before the store was to close for the night. Once the police arrived, they found the man, Jose Juan Vasquez, riddled with gunshot wounds. They did what they could to treat the man until the paramedics arrived. Once they got there, they rushed him to the hospital, but there wasn't much they could do. He later passed away that night. Eventually, the police caught a 42-year-old man, Ronald Leon Bryant, who they arrested and charged with the murder. He was held in custody with a big, fat $500,000 bond. Alright everyone, now that I've probably ruined your holiday, I'd like to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving, if you celebrate it. If you don't celebrate it, I wish you a just pretty good normal day. If you're not having a normal day, I wish you nothing. Also, don't go Black Friday shopping, just don't. I mean, come on. Once again, this has been your host, Kyle. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast episode. Feel free to look through my huge library of other stories if you found this one interesting, and be sure to be there for the next stories that come out each and every week. Have a good night.